Welcome to Redemption's podcast. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church, found in Kirkwood, Missouri, in the greater St. Louis area. Before we dive into the content, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook to stay current on all things Redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. So good to see y'all today. My name is Casey Jordan, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, and it is an honor to be with you today. Um, If you scroll through Instagram for like 10 seconds, you'll probably notice something. You'll notice that the pictures that people post on on Instagram, on social media, um, very rarely do they align with reality, right? People's lives look a lot better on social media than they do in, in real life, right? Um, so a couple of years ago, I don't know who started this movement, but a handful of years ago, a bunch of Instagram users began kind of this, um, yeah, this movement where they posted these side-by-side pictures and captioned those pictures, Instagram versus reality, or expectation versus reality. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, or if you're not on social media, I'm going to give you a couple of examples of Instagram versus reality. So here's the first one, this right here. Now, a few years ago, um, a, a friend of mine convinced me to train for a half marathon with her. And I can tell you, I never one time looked like the Instagram post. Never once. My friend, she's a very smiley person. She smiled the whole way. I did not smile one time throughout our training. Not, not once. And in case you're wondering how that ended up, I did not run a half marathon. We got up to about the eight mile mark. I ended up with tendonitis in both of my feet. It hurt to walk for weeks, and I have not been running since then. So my reality, that is my reality right there. That reality picture, that, like, that might be a picture of me when we were training. All right, let me give you another one. Instagram versus reality. I have done a good bit of traveling in my life, and I can tell you never, never one time have I worn heels and a skirt to the airport. I have never done it. I will never do it because I'm the one in joggers and a sweatshirt running home alone style to make my connecting flight when it's inevitably delayed. Always, every single time. So, yeah, that's my reality right there. All right, let me give you a third one. Instagram versus reality. Now, I will say, um, I'm a pretty neat person. I'm, I'm pretty organized. But my closet is not strung with decorative lighting. Like, this closet right here, like, it kind of looks like you want to just grab, like, a book and a cup of tea and, like, kind of cozy on in, right? Like, my, my bedroom closet is fairly organized, but I don't hang out in there. Like, this is like a room you want to hang out in, right? Nobody's closet looks like this. So even if, even if you're organized like I am, you don't look like this. You look more like the reality picture. All right, let me give you just one more. I'm just going to let you absorb that for a moment. (laughs) This might be my favorite. And I honestly don't have anything to say about it except for, well done, sir. Well done. I love that picture so much. That's that's travel in the pandemic. That's what that is right there. That's what the last year has looked like for us. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. We, We all do this. We all do this. Even if you're on social media, we all do this. We all live in two separate worlds. We've got our, our expectation world, where the world is as it should be, and then we've got our reality world, where everything is as it really is. We live in these two separate worlds. We're in this series right now called Love Lives, 
where we're looking at the lies that we believe about love and relationship. And we've been using the story of a man named Samson to kind of draw out some of those lies. So today, I'm gonna take a little bit of a different approach to Samson's story. Uh, rather than looking at a lie Samson believed, I'm gonna use his story as kind of a launching pad to get us into another text that's going to kind of reveal one of these lies, okay? So, here at Redemption, we start in the same place in our Bible every single week, uh, the table of contents. So swing on over to the table of contents in your physical Bible or on your Bible app. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Judges. Judges is the seventh book in the Bible, so it should be kind of near the top for you. And we'll be starting in chapter 16, verse 4. Now, while you're getting there, let me give you, uh, let me get you a little bit of background to the book of Judges. During this period of time in biblical history, the nation of Israel was ruled by judges. Now, when you hear the word judge, don't, don't necessarily think of judge like we have in our culture. This was a different role. Uh, these judges were primarily military and political leaders. They were responsible for protecting the people of God from, from their enemies and leading the people of God in obedience to him. So that was the primary role of judges. And this guy, Samson, was one such judge. Um, God set Samson apart for leadership from birth from birth, and God instructed him to take this vow called the Nazarite vow. Now, Corey talked about the Nazarite vow the first week of the series, but I'm going to go back to it for just a moment uh, to refresh your memory because it really does pertain to today's story. So, the word Nazarite means one who is devoted. That's what it means, one who is devoted. So, anyone who took the Nazarite vow would abstain from certain things in order to be totally devoted to God and his purposes. That, that, that was the purpose of this Nazarite vow. So they would abstain from things like alcohol. They were not allowed to consume alcohol. They would abstain from cutting their hair. Could not cut their hair. And they were not allowed to touch dead bodies. All right? So those are kind of the three big ones. But the most important aspect of the Nazarite vow was that those who entered into this vow uh, were, were required to adhere to a higher standard of holiness before God. That is, they were to abstain from the corruption of this world so that they could be consumed by God and his purposes. So, Samson is not only a judge of Israel, he is also a Nazarite. He has taken the Nazarite vow. One other interesting thing about Samson is that God gave him incredible strength. Incredible strength. On the condition, like, like Hulk-like strength, all right? So when, you, when I say strength, like, this isn't like bodybuilder in the gym. I'm like Hulk-like strength, all right? Under the condition that Samson did not cut his hair. Now, why single out that one aspect of the Nazarite vow? I don't know. I have no idea. But that was God's prerogative. That was the condition that God set. So judge, Nazarite, superhuman strength. That's who Samson is. Now, I mentioned just a minute ago that one of the roles of judges were to protect uh, God's people from their enemies and to lead people, the, the people of God, in obedience to God. Uh, Samson, however, had this tendency towards disobedience. He had this tendency towards disobedience. Uh, he got himself into a fine number of predicaments, um, most often when it came to women. <laughs> if you look at his story, most often when it came to women. And his most famous affair of all was with a woman named Delilah. And that is the story that we will be looking at today. So again, if you have your Bibles, we're in Judges 16, starting in verse 4. Here's what it says. Sometime later... Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah, who lived in the valley of Sorek. 
the rulers of the Philistines went out to her and said, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Let me pause for just a second. We don't know how many rulers of the Philistines there were, but each of them is going to give her 1,100 pieces of silver to discover Samson's secret. There's a lot of money on the line here, okay? Uh, all right, so here's what it says. So Samson said to, Delilah said to Samson, please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up sec securely. I love this. She doesn't like beat around the bush and like kind of try to figure it out. She literally just comes up. She's like, oh, you want to know what, what makes Samson strong and how to tie him up? Hey, Samson, what makes you strong? How do we tie you up? Like, there's, like, no, like, no deception here. It's just, like, straight up, here's what I want to know from you. Um, but stop right there. Stop right there. This should be a red flag for Samson. That, the fact that she's even asking this question. She's asking for his Achilles heel. She's asking how he can be beat. This should be a red flag. Now, Samson, to his credit, is aware of that. He, he, he realizes what she's doing. So here's what he says. Samson replied, if I were tied up with seven new bowstrings that have not yet been dried, I would become as weak as anyone else. So he lies to her, right? We know, we know that it's his hair. If he cuts his hair, he will lose his strength. But he lies to her. So that night, while Samson is sleeping, I'm not going to read you the whole story because it's lengthy. That night, while Samson is sleeping, Delilah comes and ties him up with seven new bowstrings that have not yet been tied. Then, in the morning, she runs into Samson's room, and she says, Samson, hurry, get up, the Philistines are coming. And Samson breaks free of his bonds. And Delilah is hurt. She's hurt that he lied to her. Now, to be fair, she's trying to capture him for the Philistines, the enemies of God's people. But she's hurt, and she asks again, Samson, why did you lie to me? How could you do that? Tell me, tell me, what is it that makes you so strong and how can you be tied up securely? Once again, she just asks the question straight up. She's not even trying to deceive him. She's just, here's, here's, the, here's what I want to know. So this time, Samson says, okay, okay, that, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. Um, actually, if you tie me up with a new rope that has never been used before, I will become as weak as anybody else. So that night, while Samson is sleeping, Delilah ties him up with a new rope that has never been used before. The next morning, she runs in. Samson, the Philistines are coming. Hurry, get up. Samson obviously breaks free of the ropes because this is not the secret to his strength. And, and, and once again, Delilah is hurt. Okay, how many red flags are we at now? First one, first one uh, she asks him how to beat him. Second one, she tries to beat him. Third one, she asks again. Fourth, she tries to beat him again. Like, where are a lot of red flags? Are you seeing a pattern here? So she asks yet again. This time, Samson tells her, okay, okay, um, it actually has to do with my hair. If you weave my hair into seven braids and then clamp it into a loom, I'll become as weak as anybody. My personal opinion is that Samson is just messing with her at this point. Like, clamp my hair into a loom, then I'll, be, then I'll become weak. Um, and so, I'm sure you can guess where the story goes. When Samson went to sleep that night, Delilah comes, weaves his hair into seven braids, and clamps his hair into a loom. In the morning, she runs in, tells him that the Philistines are coming, and Samson breaks free. So we're, we're at like six red flags at least now. Lots of red flags, okay? So she comes one more time, and here's what she says. Then Delilah pouted. She pouted. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? Cue incredible manipulation. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. 
So she comes a fourth time, and this time, th you're not going to believe this. Listen to what Samson does. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as anyone else. You've got to be kidding me, Samson. Like, you've absolutely got to be kidding me. Why on earth would you tell her that? Why on earth would you tell her that? Three times now, she's asked you how to beat you and tried. Tried to beat you, and now you're going to confide in her? Like, you've got to be kidding me, Samson. This is ridiculous. Here's the point. Here's the point. Delilah threw up red flag after red flag after red flag, and Samson stayed in it. He stayed in it. Here's the thing. The Bible does not tell us why Samson stayed in it. It, it doesn't tell us. We, we don't know what lie Samson was believing. He was believing a lie, to be sure. We just don't know which one it was. But I told you, I want to use Samson's story as a launching pad to get us into another text. And I want to turn the question around and ask this. Why do we stay? Why do we stay? What lies do we believe that make us ignore the red flags? We're believing lies, to be sure. Now, it could be any number of them. It could be any number of lies. But I want to, I want to suggest that one of the most common lies we believe is the I can change them lie. This, this lie that, oh, you know what, I, yes, I see the red flags, I see the red flags, but you know what, she's not going to be like that in marriage. She's not going to be like that in marriage. Yes, I, I see this thing that actually would be a deal breaker for me, but I'm, I'm certain I can break him of it. I'm certain. Yes, there's, there's this, this major disagreement that we have that actually will alter the course of our life, but I'm, I'm positive once we're married, I'll be able to get her to see my point of view. Lies, lies, lies. This lie that we can change other people. Let me show you why this is a lie. In the very first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, we read that God created men and women in his image. That means that we were created to enjoy a perfect relationship with our creator. We were created to enjoy perfect relationships with one another. And we were created to represent and reflect the heart and character of God to the world. That, that's what we were made for. And, and, and that, that's, a good, that's a good call. That's a good mission. But then in Genesis chapter 3, a whopping three chapters into the Bible, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, rebelled against God. So that perfect relationship that we enjoyed with God, broken. That, that perfect relationship we enjoyed with one another, broken. That, that call to represent and reflect the heart and character of God to the world, now utterly impossible. But here's the thing. We followed in the footsteps of Adam and Eve. You and I have broken our relationship with God and with one another by our own sinful choices. You and I have rendered it utterly impossible to represent the heart and character of God to the world because he is perfect and our sinful choices have made us imperfect. We're no longer able to do what God called us to do or relate to him and others the way that he created us to relate. So because of our own sinful choices, our hearts are in desperate need of changing. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong here. Your spouse needs changing. Your boyfriend or girlfriend needs changing. Absolutely. It's just that you do too. And, and so do I. And the reality is, 
you can't change me, and I can't change you. But let me take this just a little bit further. Let me just push on this a little bit more, and this is probably gonna make some of you really uncomfortable, but, but I have to push here. Not only can I not change you, I can't change me. I can't change me. Albert Einstein once said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Likewise, a sinful heart cannot solve the problem of a sinful heart. I can't change you, but I also can't change me. We can change external things about ourselves, right? For example, you could stick with an exercise program and change the state of your health. Uh, you could save money and, and stick to a budget and change your financial situation. There are things we can change, but those are external things. I'm not talking about external things. I'm talking about internal things. I can't change my sinful heart with my sinful heart. Um, we need changing, and we cannot change ourselves, but that's okay. The only one who can change us has offered to change us. The only one who can change us has not only offered to change us, but has offered to give us a whole new heart. God offers that. When we, when we trust and follow Jesus, when we, when we accept the sacrifice he made for us on the cross, God says, I'm going to give you a whole new heart. You're going to be a whole new person. You're going to be able to respond to me. You're going to be able to relate to me. You're going to be able, once again, to represent and reflect me to the world the way that I intended you to. That's the offer that God gives. But here's the question. If we can't change ourselves, why on earth would we think we can change anybody else? It, it, it's irrational. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Yet we so often believe this lie. Now, I want to be really clear on something, though. When I say that we can't change one another, what I don't want us to do is I don't want us to swing to the other side of the pendulum where we take this like laissez-faire, you know, indifferent attitude uh, towards relationship. That, that's not biblical either. No, we can't change one another. But God doesn't want us to be hands-off. He wants us to be involved. So uh, now that we've looked at, at the lie about relationship, this lie that we can change one another, let's look at the truth of what God calls us to when it comes to our conduct and relationships. Um, the truth is that I'm not responsible for you. That is, I can't control you. I can't change you. But I am responsible to you. The truth is, you are not responsible for me, but you are responsible to me. You are not responsible for your spouse. You cannot control, you cannot change your spouse. But you are responsible to your spouse and they are responsible to you. The Bible has a lot to say about our responsibility to one another. I'm just gonna give you a couple of examples. We could be here all day if we went through all the things that God calls us to in relationship to one another, but let me give you a handful. John 13, 34, we are responsible to love each other. Uh, Galatians 5, 13, we are responsible to serve one another in love. Ephesians 4, 15, we are responsible to speak the truth in love. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, we are responsible to encourage one another and build each other up. Galatians 6.2, we are responsible to share each other's burdens, help one another carry our loads. Colossians 3.13, we are responsible to forgive one another. Uh, James 5.16, we are responsible to pray for each other. We have a lot of responsibility to each other. 
You can't change anyone. You are not responsible for them, but you are responsible to them. And, and that's our bottom line for today. You aren't responsible for others, but you are responsible to them. Um, if I can put it real bluntly for just a minute, um, trying to change others is trying to play God. That's his role. That's not our role. And, and, and that's a burden that none of us can carry. None of us can carry that burden. It's not, it's not ours to carry. Um, but do you see how, how he frees us from that burden? Th think about this. Play this out with me for just a minute. Um, when we receive a new heart from God, it releases us from that burden. It releases us to stop playing God and start being what, what we were intended to be. It actually frees us up. Uh, it, it frees us up because now I don't have to mold and shape you into my image. That's, that's God language right there. It frees me from molding and shaping you into my image, and instead, I'm free to love you the way that I've been loved. I'm free to serve you the way that he has served me. I'm free to be patient with you the way that he has so often been patient with me. This is good news. This is good news. It means that now I get to be what I was created to be and stop trying to be something I wasn't and never could be. This is, this is good news. It frees me up to do what God created me to do, and, and it releases us from a burden that we were never meant to carry. Here's the point. If you're dating someone and you're seeing the red flags, don't believe the lie that marriage is going to be different. Just, just don't, don't believe that lie. Um, don't stay in a relationship because you've bought into this illusion that you can change those problematic parts. You can't. You can't. Um, if you're married and you've been living under that illusion, I'm going to guess that you've experienced a good bit of frustration. That's my guess. Um, so drop the illusion. Drop, drop the illusion. Stop believing this lie that, that if you just say the right words, if you just push long enough, if you just nag hard enough, eventually, eventually you'll win out. You won't. But even if you do, it will be at the cost of anger and, and bitterness and resentment. So even if you win, you lose. Even if you win, you lose. So let me instead ask two questions. First of all, where does your heart need changing? Where does your heart need changing? If you've never entered into a relationship with God through, through Jesus, uh, let me tell you, you're in need of a, of a whole new heart. And he offers that to you. It's incredible news. So start there. Start there. Don't, don't, don't try to fix things for yourself because you, you can't. So take him up on his offer. Take that whole new heart. Take that whole new heart. If you, if you are a Christian, if you've been a Christian even for some time, you know that even with a new heart, there's still a lot of work to be done. There, there's, still, there's still areas of my life that, that, need, that need a lot of change. And so, so ask yourself that question. Where does my heart need changing? It is really easy to see where everybody else needs changing, isn't it? It's really easy. But, but to admit where you need changing, that takes a lot more courage and it takes a lot more humility. So where does your heart need changing? And then second, ask yourself this. Are you trying to take responsibility for people rather than taking up your responsibility to them? Are you trying to take responsibility for people rather than taking up your responsibility to them? Do you spend more time looking at what everyone else is doing, worrying about what everyone else is doing? Do you spend more time doing that than you do worrying about, man, how am I doing loving them? 
How am I doing serving them? How am I doing encouraging them? How, how am I doing in my responsibility to them? Those are the questions I would ask you. We, we all need changing. We have to put to death this lie that we can change one another. We, we just can't. Uh, we have to lay down those expectations. In other words, that Instagram world, that Instagram mindset. We have to lay down our expectations and let them break on the rocks of reality. Um, we have to exchange this lie for the truth of what God says. The reality is we can't change anyone, but we don't have to. We don't have to. God has offered not only to change us, but to give us an entirely new heart that can respond to him, that can relate to him, that can represent him and reflect him to the world the way that he always intended us to. This heart that releases us from the burden of trying to play God and, and, and lets us be creatures Glorious creatures made in his image as he created us to be. We're going to move now uh, into this time where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, if you didn't get a kit when you walked in, uh, we can get you one. If you just raise your hand, we'll, uh, we'll have someone come, come hand it off to you. Um, but as we move into this time of, of the Lord's Supper, I, I want you to remember that. I, I want you to reflect on this incredible offer that, that God has, has given to us. Um, see, uh, Jesus is more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. Sometimes we treat him like that. He's more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. His death on the cross it didn't just secure our eternities, although it certainly did that. But, but his death did so much more. His death has implications for our lives right now. His death on the cross means uh, that, that we can put to death our old sinful patterns. It means that we can put to death these lies that have so long entrapped us. Listen to what uh, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Deception, you hear that word? Another word for lie. Our old nature is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God. Not God, created to be like him, to represent him and to reflect him. Truly righteous and holy. 